welcome to the gathering. We are so happy that you are here. Have you ever been asked a question at some point in your life that's kind of just been unsettling for you for a long time? Like someone asked you that question and you just continue to think about it, continue to wrestle with it. That happened to me about two months ago. There was a question that was posed to me that I've consistently wrestled with and it's just kind of rattled around in my heart up until now. And I wanna actually ask that same question to you. So now you'll have something to think about for two months afterwards, you're welcome. Uh, but that question kind of just goes like this, this thought. And maybe you've had someone bring this thought to your mind before. But if we were to say confidently, if I can stand up here and say to you confidently, which by the way, I cannot, and you'll get that in a second whenever I ask my question. But if I could say confidently that starting tonight, 10 years from this day at the gathering, Jesus is coming back. 10 years from tonight, we start a timer, starts counting down from 10 years from today, and 10 years from today at the gathering, probably during worship, Jesus returns. What about five years from today, yeah? Five years from today, that kind of makes a little more sense maybe in our minds because we think of the five-year plans for our lives, where we wanna be at, what we expect to be experiencing in five years. But in five years time, Jesus returns. I'll raise you one more and just think three years. Anyone getting sweaty palms? That's what I just feel when I think of that question. Oh my gosh, just thinking about in three years time, truly from tonight, you're not gonna get tonight back. Tomorrow, you're not gonna get that day back and it's only one day closer to Jesus actually returning and actually coming back. I mean, what are your minds kind of thinking through as you hear some type of question like that? Because maybe you've grown up in church and you've thought through that idea and you've heard that yes, Jesus is returning, he's coming back. But truly how often do we let that impact our day-to-day -day thoughts or really allow ourselves to sit and kind of wrestle with and ponder the reality of that question, that Jesus is returning? What would look different in our lives? What would look different? How would we love people differently? How would we as a church engage the world around us differently? I mean, truly guys, this changes everything. And I think why my palms get sweaty is because I look at my life and I'm like, yeah, probably a lot would have to change if I absolutely with confidence knew that Jesus was returning and that return was right around the corner. I would stop caring a lot about the things that I care about that don't hold eternal weight. I would stop caring about not sharing Jesus with the people that I live around because I'm embarrassed or afraid of how they're gonna think of me or it's just too inconvenient and uncomfortable so I'm not gonna go over and knock on the door and invite them into my home to share a meal with them and share the good news of Jesus with them. So much would change. And I, like I said, can't sit up here and confidently say, yes, Jesus is coming back in five years time, so prepare yourselves. He gave me a word tonight before the gathering, although I wish, I'd hope he come back tomorrow. But, I can't confidently say that he's not coming back in five years. I can't confidently say he's not coming back in three years or two years or one year. And when you think about that, I wonder if your blood pressure begins to rise like mine does. What would change? What would change in our lives? Tonight, we're talking about decision-making. Weird start, I know, to decision-making. But we're talking about decision-making. And I really just have two points for you tonight. And the first one is this. The most important decision that we'll ever make affects our eternity. The most important decision we'll make affects our eternity. If you'll turn with me to Revelations 21, again, we're just diving right into the deep end tonight. I hope we're good with it. Revelation 21, 
This passage really is just a promise of what's to come. As you read, we'll be able to see that. And just this hope and this celebration for those who have relationship with Jesus. And truly, this passage gets me super excited. If you've never read it before, I'm really excited to read it with you tonight. But starting in verse three of chapter 21, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw a holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said to me, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Later in verse 22, it says, I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. And its city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. Believer in the room, sit with me for a second and think about, allow the weight of those words to settle on your heart. Jesus is returning. He's coming back. And that is a promise that we see written here so explicitly in scripture. This is the world I wanna live in. No more death, no more pain, no more mourning, wiping every tear from our eyes, God dwelling with us. I don't know if you caught that there, but there's no need for a temple in this new earth because we don't need a place to go and meet with God. God is with us, dwelling with us forever. And this is the hope and the celebration that we have to look forward to. If you are a person in this room tonight, son or daughter of God that has been redeemed and accepted Jesus into their life, this will be the best day you can ever imagine. It will be the biggest day of celebration that you could ever dream of. The reality also is that if you are a son or daughter that is sitting in this room that has not accepted Jesus, has not said yes to following Jesus, this day will be the worst, not for just this life, but for all of eternity to follow. And that is the reality of the situation. Jesus is king, he is coming back. And so like I stated in our first point, the most important decision we'll make affects our eternity. We've gotta start there because nothing else matters if we don't set that foundation and remind ourselves that hope is coming, this life's not our home, and Jesus is returning. So when faced with this decision, what will you say then? This decision of, do I accept this message of Jesus? Much like Peter, I look at his life and I'm like, this man's jumping out of the boat, running on the water because Jesus is worth it to him. Do we respond to Jesus in that way, seeing him as worth it, worth laying everything down for? Or do we much like the rich young ruler, which we've talked about so often in this setting, turn away from the Lord sad because the things that we're gripping so tightly in this world we are unwilling to give up 
we see them as more treasures, as treasures more valuable than Jesus himself. When faced with this decision, how do we respond? How does this truth inform the lives that we are living every single day, the decisions that we are making every single day? And how is this reminding us consistently of the eternal perspective that we are called to have? The Bible talks about this life being but a mist, but a vapor. Now, what we decide in this mist and vapor of a life holds a lot of weight, but it's passing. We will not be here forever. And what I'm afraid of when I look around in my own life, in the church's lives, in those that call Jesus their Lord and Savior, and even in those that don't, what I see as one of the enemy's biggest tactics to keep us from embracing this truth and stepping into the fullness of living a life closely with the Lord is that he wants us to just completely numb out, completely numb out, go onto autopilot, be distracted in every single way, because when we're not thinking sober-mindedly and intentionally, we're not looking towards the Lord. We're just looking to ourselves. We're looking to the things that are hard in our lives. We're looking to the endless amounts of distractions that this world provides. I mean, think about it. When you look back at your life, I know for myself, I can look at days or weeks or even months where I'm like, what was I doing? What time was wasted? Because I just was so fixated on something that doesn't actually matter. I mean, I think about if it, hear me in this room and I'm sure maybe I'll, I'll hit some of you. You get in your car, right? And you gotta go drive to the grocery store and then you get there and you're like, I don't remember how I even got here. I don't remember the last five miles of this drive. It's just this autopilot. I mean, my car does it every time I get in. I'm driving home to cook dinner and save money and then I end up at Chick-fil-A and I'm like, I don't even know how I ended up here, but sure, okay, fine. My car knows better than me, I will eat. But that's it. I mean, that is the tactics the enemy wants to throw our way is to numb out, be distracted, don't live intentionally, live dazed and not looking at the Lord. And what God offers is a life that is full and sober and intentional. Without this truth in our life, we don't live for anything. Without this truth, without what we just read in Revelations 21, there is actually no purpose. There's actually no meaning. We can try to convince ourselves that there is, but in all reality, when we close our eyes and take our last breath, what comes after that? What could we hope in? The truth of the situation is that there is hope and purpose and meaning for the life that God has given. Without this hope and without Christ, our life is temporary pleasure that is bombarded with meaningless pain and suffering. Nothing makes sense when it gets hard but with Christ in our life and with the truth, knowing that he's coming back and will redeem his people, there's hope, even in the face of trials and suffering, even when it doesn't make sense. This world's not our home and what's light and momentary and affliction now prepares for us an eternal glory that far outweighs anything that this world has to offer. Do you hear me? It's good news, it's good news. The most important decision that you and I will ever make affects our eternity. And I pray if you are someone that does not know Jesus, that before you walk out of this room tonight, you just ask the questions. You just figure out who is this guy? I feel hurt by him, I don't feel seen by him. 
And yet there's something in me stirring inside of me that knows that maybe there's some truth to what y'all are talking about. Jesus wants to have relationship with you. He loves you enough to come and die for you, be raised again, and then come back to defeat the enemy once and for all, to remove all pain and suffering. A.W. Tozer has a quote and it says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's good, that's really good. And even tack onto that to continue that thought. What we know about God, what we think about God when we first think about him determines if we are willing to lay down everything else to choose him. Paul got this, Paul figured it out. Over and over and over again, Paul writes with this type of language, to live is Christ and to die is gain because nothing else matters here. His ultimate aim in life was to honor and magnify and make much of the name of Christ. So many other things he let fall to the wayside because he just had met the real Jesus and it changed him and rocked his entire world. What we think about God and what we know about him when we first hear him is the most important thing about us. And this truth presented in Revelation 21 and really all throughout the entirety of scripture must be foundational and relevant if we are to live out the purpose and the mission that God has given us. Our lives are not our own and praise God for that. Because I know if it was my own, I would mess it up all the time. Our lives are not our own and God's working in them and God is using us and we have something bigger to live for and look forward to. So just this question to end out this point tonight, have you, have you encountered this living Jesus, this real Jesus who offers a message of hope and of grace? and then said yes to committing your life to him. It is the most exciting adventure you will ever live. And just to let you know, as we read, it doesn't stop whenever we die. It continues on for all of eternity. Have you seen the hope of Jesus and said yes to following him? And then and only then, when we've made the most important decision that impacts the rest of our eternity, can we practically talk about the other things in our lives, the other decisions in our lives, the real weighty things that we're walking through? Because yes, we're gonna talk about them and they're important. And I know, especially in your 20s and 30s, it feels like there's so many decisions that we are facing daily. But unless we are able to set the foundation rooted in the fact that Jesus is king and he loves us and he's coming back for us, then everything else feels a lot, or a lot more meaningless, does it not? It feels a lot smaller because this is the most important and we've gotta get this right. Other decisions filter out of this perspective. They are important and real though and worth talking about, which leads me then, so talked about this, this most important decision affects our eternity. And the second point that I wanna jump into tonight, having laid that foundation and having really just dove into what does scripture promise us and tell us about that, is the second point of all other decisions affect us temporarily. And don't hear that as a negative thing, please. I, I want to 
make that a positive spin on that. Not that it's temporary, so we shouldn't ever care about it. It shouldn't bother us. It shouldn't cause us anxiety or to lose sleep at night. We do have the peace from the Lord, of course. And there's gonna be tools that we're looking at tonight on how to make biblically wise decisions. What I mean by this is that while they are important and hold weight, they don't necessarily maybe impact our salvation the way that saying yes to Jesus does, but still demand our attention. And how do we navigate them through what scripture tells us and root ourselves in truth to be able to honor the Lord well with all parts of our life. When we're faced with decisions that don't impact the security of our salvation, but still have power and possibility to impact our day-to-day lives, how do we go about making them in a way that honors God and puts Him as the Lord of our life rather than ourselves? There was research actually done by a couple scholars at Oxford in 2013 And it says that on average, the American adult makes roughly 35,000, what does it say? Remotely conscious decisions every single day. That surprised me, kind of. It surprised me, but in a way due to, or according to Oakley's research in 2022, talking with some of you, I'm like, I don't know, y'all might surpass making those decisions because some of y'all got really heavy things going on in your lives and you're making decisions left and right and decisions that, hold a lot of weight and are really hard to navigate through. And I know are causing you a lot of grief and a lot of hurt and sometimes even some anxiety. They're robbing you of some peace. Nonetheless, we are making a lot of decisions every single day, big and small and everything in between. I wanna look back at when I think some of our kind of young adult decisions really started And I would say for most of us in this room, maybe not all of you, but for most of us in this room, we turn the ripe age of 18. And for the first time in our lives, we're somewhat making these independent type decisions. And it can kind of begin like this for a lot of us that are graduating from high school. Okay, so my decision of, do I decide that I wanna go to college and pursue more school or do I not wanna go to college? Okay, navigating that decision. If I go to college, where am I gonna go to school? Where do I wanna live? Where is that gonna take me? Who's gonna be my roommate? What major am I going to study? What do I wanna be known by in college? What people can I surround myself with? How do I find a new community? What church do I wanna go to? I mean, the list is endless. And it continues to go on as you progress into your young adult years. Do I take this job or do I not take this job? Do I marry this person or do we break up? Where do I wanna live? Do I go deeper in my faith? And if so, how do I even go about doing that? Do I live with these roommates or by myself? Do I go back to school after I've graduated? What community do I wanna surround myself with and how do I find those friends? How do I manage a budget and debt? Is now the time to start eating healthier? My metabolism is slowing down. Do I take the vacation or save my PTO? Do I order the $6 latte every single day? I mean, for the women in the room, what kind of skincare products do I use? And men, I'm not knocking on you, but I've seen, y'all just have flawless skin regardless of what you do. So I'm really excited for you, congrats. But for women, when you Google search, even just any skincare products, there's 500 blogs that pop up from the athlete to the stay-at-home mom and everything in between. And how do you know what to even decide on and what's good for you? And that's just one type of decision. We're facing those all the time, every single day. Do you feel yourself starting to get a little tense? We were sweaty in the beginning, right? And then we're tense now, my shoulders are feeling it. 
I look at this list and it overwhelms me. I feel paralyzed by this list. All of these things on top of paying off student loans, growing emotionally and spiritually, taking care of yourself physically, working hard at the job you're at, dating and breaking up, and remembering to call your family. That's important. But all of these things together make for a very chaotic couple of young adult years into our 20s and 30s. And so that's where I wanna zone in tonight. Actually, I found this, I found this, uh, this phrase, this, this word, the two words, if you will, whenever I was doing this research, and it was called, uh, or it's decision fatigue. I had never heard of that before, but when I started reading into it, I'm like, this actually makes a lot of sense. You're putting words to what I've felt before. Uh, but basically, this is Oakley's definition, so take it for what you will. Uh, our ability to make good decisions starts to weaken because we have to make so many decisions in a short amount of time. Decision fatigue. Anyone ever felt that or you're feeling it now or you're feeling overwhelmed and I'm just pushing you right in the chest by talking about this. We are faced as a society with so many options, which is a blessing on one hand and brings about some hardship on the other. I wanna give you a verse tonight to frame the rest of our time as we kind of begin to talk through practically what are some things that we can begin to filter through when making these decisions. This verse, just when I read it, it steadied me as I was thinking about making decisions, making the choice, and I hope it does for you as well. It's short and sweet, Psalm 86, 11. David is actually the psalmist here, and he says, "'Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth.'" Unite my heart to fear your name. We see David crying out with, gosh, some of the same things that I know have littered my prayer life over the years. Lord, teach me your way. Help me walk in wisdom. I don't know what to do. Unite my heart because everything in me is so distracted and pulling me every which way except towards you. Those lyrics in that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That is Oakley Alva to a T, and I need God to unite my heart. There's actually a scholar that talked about this idea of having a united heart towards the Lord. And what he says is, a hypocrite has a double heart. Let mine be single and entire for God, not divided between him and the world, not straggling from him. Our hearts are apt to wander and hang loose. Their powers and faculties wander after a thousand foreign things. We have therefore need of God's grace to unite them, that we may serve God with all that is within us and all little enough to be employed in his service. I love this last line. Let my heart be fixed for God and firm and faithful to him and fervent in serving him. That is a united heart. What I hear through all of that, what I hear in David's cry is that he is just asking, Lord, help me be faithful. Help me be faithful, even when I am unsure of where to take my next step. I want a united heart to walk faithfully with the Lord. I want us as the church to have united hearts to walk faithfully to the Lord. And when we are making decisions to keep him and his interests and his glory at the forefront of our minds. With this goal in mind, I wanna now navigate through just kind of a decision-making filter, if you will. I'm gonna give you seven questions, and this list is not all-inclusive by any means, but there's seven 
good questions to think through as you're processing through the decisions that you're making all the time in your life. The first one is this, does God's word have an opinion on this? Now I know probably some of you in this room might've just tuned me out a little bit because you're sitting there thinking, well, Oakley, my decision that I'm trying to make is should I marry this exact person or should we wait five years to get married or do we have X amount of kids or do I take this job or do I move to the city or fill in the blank that you're not ever gonna find a verse that explicitly talks about in God's word. And yes, I feel you. I have been in those dating years like, okay, Lord, I'm just looking for the name in the Bible. If I just see the name, then I'll just know it's a sign from you. I'm supposed to walk forward in this. That's never happened and it doesn't happen. And it would make it a lot easier, but it doesn't happen but there are truths presented in scripture that help us make all the decisions that we are making and walk forward in faithfulness. I wanna remind you of a verse found in 2 Timothy 3 where it says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is exactly what we need. God has not left anything out of the Bible God's not leaving you alone to navigate this life just in the gray, in the fog. Scripture cuts through, it pierces like a knife and it guides us. Hide it in your heart. And when you don't understand and you don't know where God's leading, James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. What does God's word have to say about this? Secondly, what motives, fears, or experiences are informing my decision? What motives, fears, or experiences. You can look at each one of those words and kind of think to yourself, okay, looking at the past that I've walked through, the heart that I know I have that's very sinful and very prideful and very selfish, what types of motives could possibly be putting on the rose-colored glasses and clouding my judgment for a second? And I'm not actually thinking clearly as to what is God's heart on this, and what's he guiding me into rather than what just feels really nice and really good in this moment. Maybe it's a fear-based decision. Anyone else felt that in the room before? I'm not gonna step into this because I'm afraid of what the outcome will be. I'm not gonna step into this because I don't really trust that God's actually gonna walk with me in it. I don't know how it's gonna pan out, so I'd rather just sit on this side and not actually step forward, again, with faith, trusting in the Lord. What motives, fears, or experiences are informing my decision? Proverbs 16, nine speaks to this, and it says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. We have a plan that of course feels very right to us. I have a direction that I am headed in, that I am wanting to go in, and if I'm not careful, I will step into the driver's seat of my own life, which never ends well for me ever. I wanna trust God because his plan is better by far and he's sovereign and he's good. And I wanna check my heart when I'm making decisions to see what other things could be impacting my decision-making process. Thirdly, have I invited my community in to help or to pray and help me process? Proverbs 18.1, call back to last week. We referenced this first and talked about friendships last week, how to form them, why community is important. But this verse says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. 
I have not heard a verse before that speaks more specifically into this idea that it is harmful to isolate yourself and beneficial to surround yourself with people that love the Lord, that love you, and that want what's best for you. I, it is a vulnerable experience. When I take something that I'm navigating with, I'm processing through, I grab all of the information, I present my case, if you will, and I lay it out in front of my community and it's like, okay, speak into this, step into this moment. And it is so vulnerable because they might say something that makes me a little uncomfortable. They might say something that hurts my feelings a little bit. It's sharpening me, it's good for me. Don't invite your community in after you've made the decision and then look for their approval. Invite them in in the middle of it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> invite them in in the middle of it because it's so much more vulnerable that way and uncomfortable, but beneficial. Take what your community is saying, a community that loves the Lord, loves you, and seeks your best interest. Take back to question one, what God's word is saying, putting that together and thinking through that filter of, okay, what is the best route for me to take maybe with this choice that I have in front of me? And maybe it still isn't clear and that's when you get on your knees and you just pray and beg the Lord as you continue to process through that. But inviting community in is so important. Fourthly, am I considering the warning signs and possible outcomes? When I choose A, B is bound to happen. What's B gonna look like? What is this gonna be over here? And am I actually considering how that's gonna impact my life? No, you can't ever perfectly know what is going to happen and what will be consequence of the choices that you make. Sometimes, actually, sometimes you can. I'm like, that. probably don't start doing drugs because you kind of know where that's gonna lead you or just other, you know, it's like, there are certain things that you're like, this kind of leads one way and I just don't think that way is gonna be maybe good for me. But when the decision isn't as easy as this is the right way and this is the wrong way, and you're kind of stuck at this crossroads of left, right, where do I go? How do I move forward? Am I considering in that moment what could be possibly a warning sign, a yellow flashing light, or even a red flashing light that causes me to take a pause? This question, this part of the filter, does not indicate that all of the decisions that we make all of the ways that we move forward, trusting in the Lord, are gonna lead us to pain-free and suffer-free endings, right, right? That's where we get hurt by God sometimes the most. God, I've trusted you, I've prayed through this, I've put this in front of you, and I'm hurt, and I'm suffering, and I don't feel like I see where you're moving and working. Sometimes, and sometimes it feels like sometimes more than not, God may lead us into a path that feels really uncomfortable and really painful. It's in those moments where we have to lean in and ask ourselves that question of, do we still trust the Lord to provide? Do we still trust he's gonna be faithful even if it doesn't feel like it, even if I don't know what he is doing? JP is a pastor down in Waco and he says this, that you can't judge obedience by the outcome. And I think that is so powerful. You cannot judge obedience by the outcome that you experience. God is bigger than that. Our world is more broken than you'd ever imagined. And God is not, we, he is not confined by how the experience or the outcome turns out. He's, 
over that, bigger than that, more sovereign. Nonetheless, looking back at the question, are there obvious things that you're like, this would not be something that God leads me into? This is a closed door from him, a no from the Lord. I don't wanna walk into it. Moving on, question number five, could this decision hinder my witness for the Lord? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. In every single way, I want all of my life to point back to a good and loving God. When I, become, when I became a believer, it was a hard reality for me to realize that the decisions I make and the things I do and the things I want to do no longer just impact me, you know? No longer just impact me. I might have these feelings and these thoughts, but now I wanna run it through this filter of, is this in any way gonna make someone question me and my character and therefore question the Lord and his character? Because if so, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. In any way could these decisions hinder my witness for the Lord? Sixth question, is there a better option that would allow me to make a greater impact for God's kingdom? I love these last two, or the second to last two questions in particular, because it kind of puts the focus outward a little bit. No longer is it just me, it's how am I not hindering my witness, but also making impact for the kingdom of God. When we accept God, he asks one thing of us. We come before him and he asks, will you lay down those other things that you sought after? Will you lay down those other things that you worshiped and put in place of me? And will you come and allow me to be the only God in your life? I'm not gonna let you down. I'm not gonna leave you. What I offer is unconditional love and support and care. But I ask of you that you would make room in your heart to worship me, have that united heart to worship me. Are the decisions that I am making reflecting this attitude that my life is no longer my own? Galatians six fourteen speaks to this and it says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Far be it from me to boast in anything that I have to offer. What I bring to the table is rags and what God brings to the table is a cross, a piece of, a, a picture of sacrifice. And so when I look to Jesus, I say, I no longer boast in myself. And frankly, I don't boast in anything that this world has to offer. I am dead to this world and made alive to Christ solely. This is my new savior and this is who's worthy of my worship. And are my decisions, even in the day to day, reflecting this attitude? I'll be real with you just for a second. This is not, and, and we've never preached this message at the gathering. This is not a message where we are demanding and asking perfection from the church because Jesus doesn't ask that. This is a message that causes something higher because what the world has to offer is not ever gonna be enough. But we need to take that call seriously. We need to rid parts of our heart that don't make more of the name of Jesus. Lastly, the last question if you've kind of gone through these different filters, you've invited your community in, you've sat with the Lord, you've listened to God, I think that's a 
a discipline we could do a lot more of, sitting with him and just listening for him to speak and guide and move. If you've done these things and you're still like, gosh, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to move. There's not this blatant red flag or wrong choice. Then the last question is, what do you want to do? Because that, that plays a role in this. What do you want to do? What's God given you passions for? What makes you excited? What piques your interest a little bit? I, I genuinely believe, again, this is, this is not scripture. This is Oakley's word, so take it for what you will. But I really believe this from seeing it in my own life. I think that so often God may give us different opportunities, present us with things that both are not necessarily inherently wrong. I stay at this job, I think God can bless that. Or I go over to take on this position. Okay, I think the Lord can bless that. And I think there might be really in a lot of situations, two things that can be really honoring to the Lord. Now, there are times where, and I also believe this, that the spirit that lives in us, if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit that lives in you. There are times when you're looking down a road and there's uneasiness and unrest and the peace of the Lord stripped away in that moment because that is not the route that you were supposed to take. Trust the discernment that the spirit gives and as he is guiding you, follow him. But I get that when it's not necessarily that situation and it's kind of these two green lights, it can feel really paralyzing. And we just wish like message in the clouds, open it up, tell me exactly where I'll go because I'll follow you, I'll do it. I just need the clarity. And maybe we kind of get to this place where almost God is asking and speaking like, what, what are you passionate about? I've created you in a specific way. I've given you giftings. What do you wanna do? Because I wanna hear from you as well. You wanna hear from me and I wanna hear from you. And we make this decision together and we walk forward hand in hand by each other's sides. And a reminder that I wanna tag on to the end of that final question that I think Maybe for some of you in this room, you'll hear and be like, yes, that's obvious. But for others, you're kind of on the edge of your seat needing to hear this reminder. We've had the sweaty palms and the tent shoulders and maybe this is just kind of the, the letdown moment, the breath of fresh air, if you will. That I and you, we collectively are not powerful enough to mess up God's plan. We are not powerful enough we think too little of the God that we serve and too big of ourselves in those moments. I mean, do we not? We get paralyzed by it. We get stuck because we think to ourselves, I'm gonna mess it up and somehow I'm gonna have these awful consequences and the Lord's gonna forget me and the Lord's gonna fail me. And then I'm gonna, you know, just we go down this rabbit trail in our mind. We're not powerful enough to do that. The Lord's plans are gonna be accomplished without you and without me because he's good and he loves people. And he wants to work in us, he wants to use us, he wants us to open-handedly come forward in obedience to follow along and be used by him. But we're not powerful enough. So release yourself of that pressure because that allows us to respond in more peace and freedom and self-forgetfulness. We can respond more freely to the callings he's placed in our lives. He loves us and he is perfectly and wholly sovereign. Oftentimes on Tuesday evenings, we kind of end with this, so what? So what now? We've talked through, first and foremost, the most important decision that is gonna impact you eternally. We've talked through other decisions that 
more or less affect the temporary, but still are powerful and hold weight? And what is the filter that we can use to process through making those decisions? So what? We're at this place now where we, we can ask those questions. I think there's a couple things to kind of consider thinking through tonight. And the first is this, calling back to the truth that we saw in Revelation, the gospel message of Jesus. For you in the room that doesn't know him, is tonight the night that you say yes? Is tonight the night that you begin that journey with the Lord and have your eternity secured? and get to have relationship with God and be filled for the first time in your entire life with peace and hope. It's tonight the night. Do not leave here. If you have questions or concerns or thoughts, or you're just angry at the Lord because he's big enough to handle it, come forward, process through. We have prayer team. We have so many people that would love to talk with you about this. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Secondly, are you allowing Jesus and his word to impact your decision-making? In every single way, are you allowing him to impact the way you make decisions and think through and process? And then thirdly, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Tonight, pray tomorrow, pray the next week and ask God to guide you. Make Psalm 86, 11 your anthem, Lord. Teach me your way, unite my heart. Help me know what you want me to do to make your name famous. Make the decision, move forward. Make the decision. God will take care of you and God will provide and take that next right step of faithfulness. God loves you and cares for you and will walk with you as you are making decisions and choosing to follow him. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful. Oh, we are so grateful for the word that you give us that reminds us that you're coming back. You will be here and you will redeem us, God, And the things that we are going through right here, right now, they are weighty and they are heavy, but you see it, you care for us, you weep with us and you promise redemption. Lord, may that sit so heavily on our hearts tonight that we can't leave this place without our tomorrows looking different, without making your name more famous everywhere that we go, because we are so impacted, not by the words that are spoken tonight, Lord, but by the truth that you give us, by the spirit that lives inside of us, and by the reality of your son coming to die the death that we deserved. Lord, thank you for still being a personable God that cares when we come to you in prayer and responds and answers always. May your promises come true, Lord, Come back and redeem your people, God. We love you. We're so grateful for you. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.